you've tapped or clicked in to College Volleyball Weekly on Viral Volley Media. Now here's your host, Rob on Mike. Right, good day, everyone. As always, we're going to change the name of the show today from CVW Men's Top 20 to CVW The Tumultuous Top 20 because it has been quite the week. We're going to get right into it because Dan wants to take care of business. He's in, and half of the people on the screen had 50-50 weeks. The other half were undefeated, one of them because he's off this week. So that's Jay Hosick of George Mason. Got Brad Rostratter of UC San Diego, Dan Brand of Lewis, and Theo Edwards of CSUN. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Good morning, Rob. We're going to start right off with number 19, UCSD splitting the series with the Trojans of USC. Let's go straight to head coach Brad Rostratter. Thoughts on your series? Yeah, it was uh, interesting to see how much can change over the course of two days. Um, just from, you know, strictly, you know, the biggest X factor for us was our serving um, night one, Wednesday night against USC. I don't know how many, but we had a good bit of aces, a good bit of airs that came with that as well. Um, but just ended up giving us a lot of points and gave us a lot of momentum and a lot of close sets. And then uh, night two, Friday night at the Galen Center, uh, looked a little bit different from the end line and couldn't quite apply the same pressure. And um, with that, USC ended up hitting really, really well uh, and really efficiently against us. You know, and that ended up being the two the two main differences um, on that side of things. All right. The coaching panel thoughts on the San Diego USC matchup. <clears throat> it's interesting to see what the shift was that Nygaard made. I'm, I'm interested to ask Brad what he thought the shift was. Was there a strategic change? Was it just their players responded better or differently? Cause we're going to talk about it when we get to another match coming up soon, which is uh, something we all talked about last week, but I'm interested, Brad, what you did differently or what they did differently that you noticed that was a difference maker, if anything. Yeah, they started the series with Jackson Reed on the left for them. And then I think midway through set three or maybe the start of set three, they subbed in Riley Hayne, um, who originally started the year and then had been out for a bit. Um, and he played pretty well. Um, and then he got the start. So that was the only tactical change was Riley Haynes started night two, um, which... I think made them a little bit more physical at the net blocking wise and um, serve receive wise. He didn't necessarily help or hurt um, was passing around the same as Jackson Reed was, but I think just that physicality uh, added a little bit of a different dynamic um, as opposed to his block, as opposed to Jackson Reed. Anyone else want to chime in on the uh, UC San Diego series? Brad, Brad, did you, uh, was there a, a band present for your guys match at USC? Yeah, there was a band. Did uh were they doing some really nice heckling at that end line or what? Uh there was a band and then uh some frat guys too that they were they definitely made it a, a good vibe there. It was fun to compete in some hostile territory. <laughs> yeah, they uh they definitely uh put some pressure on the visitors. I think that's a uh, it's a fun place to play. <laughs> All right, with that, let's go to our next uh upset-minded segment piece. But I need to say. There's only two teams left that are undefeated in the nation. Forgot to do that in the intro, which is uh, pretty big. So some teams took some losses. But that brings us to handing the first loss to a very good Stanford team. That's head coach of the Theo Whites, Theo Edwards, number 17, CSUN, splitting the series with number four, Stanford. Theo, thoughts on the match? There's matches. Yeah, yeah I, the, the series was was interesting. Um, you know, I think we prepped for a, for a Stanford team that, that Will Rotman would be on um and 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 in the lineup and um i thought that uh i thought that stanford did a did a tremendous job and and uh it was a unique it was a unique match like to be honest with you if you if you have a chance to watch it uh that first that first night uh we played in burnham who which i believe is is now kind of their home court it's where they practice it's where since the the program came back it's where their offices are it's it's their space. Um, and they played incredibly well. And to be completely frank, I think they passed as well or better than if Rotman was out there. And uh, I, they absolutely dominated the serve and pass game. And it was apparent and it's, it's how they beat us. And, 
we made some adjustments on night two and, and uh, you know, I think it was a completely different serving experience in terms of what we did and, and being in Maples on night two was a, obviously a different environment, even though it's still their home court. And uh, I think we won the serve and pass game and it changed, it changed the outcome of the match, but thought Stanford played incredibly well. And it's a testament to their depth. They had, they have a lot of guys that can play a lot of different positions and, and uh, you know, nine seniors. I mean, they're incredibly experienced and incredibly talented and to get lamp back in the lineup and playing the way that he did serving the way that he did. I mean, he was absolutely outstanding for them. Yeah. But I noticed that both Rotmans are out too. They did, they didn't see any time because uh, Will Rotman's a big loss, but Alex, the younger brother is also a pretty potent force for the uh, uh, costing the guys. Yeah, and, and Will was was definitely injured and and didn't do any warming up or anything of that of that nature. The younger brother was was warming up, hitting, looking good, and I heard uh, his teammates mention and he's back type of thing. So I think he may have had just some sort of a tweak, but he was out there and playing pretty well. And um, but I don't think he was quite ready to play yet. So I think both those guys are dealing with some sort of some sort of injuries for sure. One of the biggest upsets of the week in night number two, you guys come in 17th rank, Stanford at four, but let's let the other guys chime in. I just, I think a, a little bit of a topic. And I mean, I think me and Jay both thought Theo was going to win one, no matter what was out there. So good job, Theo. Way to back it's us up. It's not because he's on the, the screen with you guys. Uh, That's the other reason why. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I think a little bit of a theme and we know this is part of the season. I mean, Kerr's out, you know, we talked about Pasteur was out. We talked about Bianchi. Was he hurt a little bit? You talk about Rotman. It's like, um, you know, I, I think teams go through that, whether it be injuries or a piece missing here or there. And uh, like Theo said, they didn't have him. They responded really well. The Theo game plan was able to come back the next night and take care of business. But I think that's just part of it. Some teams are going to be built with depth that, that can survive some of those matches. But when you talk about key All-American players that are out of lineups, it certainly changes a team. And I don't know that anybody can totally survive when they have those pieces down, at least for longevity. It doesn't mean they might not win a match here or there, but, um, but I'm not taking anything away from any of the teams that had upsets. I mean, they have to go in and perform and win, but I think that'll be as the season goes on is like people's health is always a big factor in terms of determining, you know, where teams are at and how they're performing a little bit. And it's not even just because they per, uh, perform, but it's a flow of the group. I mean, if you got a, a starting group, and this is why coaches, I think most coaches don't want to make a lot of changes. You get a group of seven guys out there and the nuances of playing together and passing seams and defensive seams and how you're blocking next to each other. All those things are huge and tight matches. And you throw a new guy and something to take some time just to get used to that a little bit. So, Yeah, and, and I'll piggyback on that. You, every great team has at least one go-to guy, at least one guy that can go, hey, we're in trouble. Let's chuck it up to him. Let's get out of this rotation. Let's move on. And I think you've seen over the past few weeks that that one player is extremely impactful. Uh, and when that guy is not playing anymore, some other guys have to pick up the slack that when they're not the guy that has the magnifying glass on them, it's easy to kind of fly under the radar and, and get some kills and help the team move forward. But all of a sudden the focus gets put on you and you're getting maybe three, four, five sets a, a game. All of a sudden, you start to become a little bit more predictable. You get a little bit easier to read, can't handle the load maybe as much. And those teams become pedestrian. And then and, and I say pedestrian, meaning like everybody else, you know, now you've got to play the game at a little bit higher level all the way around rather than having that one guy who can beat your way out of trouble. But, uh, you know, hats off to Theo. That's a great win up there in Burnham or in Maples, no less. Uh, I like playing in Burnham. It's a tight little area and it's, it's got a lot of history and tradition, but, uh, yeah, if for Theo and, and the Theoites, if you will, the Nordoffs fighting Nordoffs, it's a great <laughs> win for them. Super stoked. It wasn't Star Wars night as they were heckling you on the sideline there, Theo? <laughs> no, they actually, uh, there was a Tyrannosaurus Rex on the sideline and some sort of a banana. <laughs> uh, it was, it was, it was pretty interesting. That's for sure. No dressed but, up tree, no tree bouncing around like this. No, I haven't seen that thing in a while. That structured tree with like the pom poms hanging off of it. Yeah. Well, the I question is which, which outfit uh, had the keg in it? Was it the Tyrannosaurus Rex or was it the banana? You know, because one of those historically there's a keg in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I think that actually there was this tiny hot dog that they were trailing, and I think that might have been it. Yeah, I can see that. Well, some big performers in your match, names that kept coming up. Kyle Hobus, obviously, on night two with 22 kills, hitting 415. Just 
went bonkers. Uh, Jalen Phillips has been such a consistent guy for you guys. And like you're saying, Kevin Lamp getting the nod both nights and he was a leader in all the stat categories for the Cardinal. Yes. Kevin Lamp, like, I mean, look, we would all be absolutely blessed and fortunate to have a guy like Kevin Lamp. That team was undefeated and Kevin really wasn't a part of the lineup. And that guy comes off the bench and he's serving like a fifth year senior that he is and just absolutely bombing the ball. I think they had 10 aces that first night and, uh, and he had at least half of them. I mean, he played fantastic. Brad, anything to add on the uh, your fellow Big West counterparts uh, matchups this week? No, I didn't get to check out the match, but looking at the numbers, it looked like, uh, you know, Jalen Phillips continues to be someone that as we get closer to Big West plays, how do we figure out stopping him? We might have to lower our, our gym ceilings here uh, in Lion Tree. <laughs> when it comes to Irvine, we're just going to send in and out into the locker room before and just put four Jalen. And just have him like stuff his face with all that and some shakes too. So, four by four animal style. <laughs> <laughs> well, our next matchup, I love the alliteration this week, by the way. It's the tumultuous top 20. Well, this is Princeton pounding the PCHers. Upset of number 12, UC Santa Barbara, then number 10, Pepperdine. What is happening in Jersey? We'll start with the EIVA rep, Jay. It's not what is happening in Jersey. <laughs> He's got a good team. Why, why can't people just give credit to a team that is good? Harry for marketing, Jay. Marketing. Yeah, no, no, no. You're <laughs> trying to create something when there is nothing. First of all, Harrington's one of the, if not the best server in the country when he's on. A lot of us on this screen have seen him either this year or over the years. It's an absolute cannon. So, you know, he's going out there and he's lighting people up. Nero Omeni is uh, hitting in an altitude that not a lot of people have. I know Theo... His kid, Jalen and, and Nero, probably touching around the same. Uh, and he's got a good setter. Wedbush knows how to run the ball around. And so Princeton doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, Santa Barbara this year looks like they're kind of working on some things. They might be rebuilding a little bit. They're, they're, they're maybe planning for the future. They didn't play all their starters. I don't know why. It doesn't matter to me one bit. Pepperdine's a team that historically has been strong. And Winder's got a couple of guys out there that maybe you're not um, you know, fight ready yet, so to speak, but they will be as the year progresses. But good for, for Sam and his boys. I'm super stoked that an EIBA team is representing well. You know, Pepperdine and and uh and UC Santa Barbara are two historically strong powerhouses. Does not surprise me one bit, however. There you go. Jay has spoken. Anyone else on the screen? Well, I, I think Sam hopefully Sam slides into the I think they were ranked 16th. I think he should be somewhere around in the top 10 somewhere. Do you know what I mean? So like uh, it's good. Like he goes out and makes a, a West Coast swing and it's always a a challenge. Do you know what I mean? I think they scheduled tough on that. And it was cool to see him go back home and have a couple West Coast schools come to him. And I think that's part of it. And you see him get two wins doing that. And, you know, Jay talked about a couple of their guys that are key, but uh, great win for Sam's club two at home. And uh, I think certainly they'll be pretty formidable as they continue to move forward. That's right. My media poll, I had them in at number nine. So great call. Do anyone else on the screen about Princeton? Yeah, I, I think I think the interesting piece, and we've talked about this in the past, you know, Sam sets up a schedule. They spend almost 20 days on the road and they're all over the place. Like, I mean, people don't maybe not everybody realizes, but when they come out to California, they're staying in different houses and, and they're arriving by their own personal cars and different family friends are stepping up and helping out. And it's a, it's a unique situation. And, but it's also one of those things that when you survive it and you survive it and you get better and they've got so many experienced players, um, you know, to finally get home and be comfortable and get two really good teams in there. I mean, they are, they're a fantastic club and Sam's doing a great job and Nero is incredible. I mean, that guy has played a different position every season. He could play a different position match to match. He has every skill He's absolutely dynamic, and uh, he's my player of the week, so don't steal him. <laughs> well, you know, they're staying in Manhattan Beach. They're suffering in Manhattan Beach with the two uh, Loyola boys. Just got to put that out there. <laughs> yeah, I did I say that where they were staying was rough, Rob. It's not a bad place to be. <laughs> Brad, did you have something yeah. to say there? To me, I see Nero transitioning to the left has been an excellent move by Sam and a testament to Nero putting in the work to – become better as a passer out there and offensively, obviously what he hit in the deal will probably shout it out later, but almost hit over 500 on the weekend, um, which was impressive performance. But I think, you know, from looking at the EIVA, you know, it's 
Princeton's kind of making their case for being the top dog in the IVA right now. You know, I know Jay and and Pav are going to have something to say about that and maybe a few other teams, but based on what we've seen so far in January and early on in February, I think that's been pretty clear. Excellent call there. Uh, you know who's been kind of flying under the radar? Uh, Ryan Vina, one of their middles. Tough server, just plays some good ball. He's a, he's a big dude, too. He's built like a tight end. So uh, between he and Wedbush, uh, Nero and Harrington, I mean, there's other people on the team, but those guys have really been playing some stand-up ball. Uh, let's go to our next one. And this is a team that's not even receiving votes, downing the number 12 chose. That's Damon, the Wildcats, taking down UC Santa Barbara. Tough week for Santa Barbara, but uh, anyone want to chime in there? Yeah, Gleason, their coach at Damon, when that program was created a handful of years ago, took over and said, I'm going to try to keep the best players in Rochester and Buffalo and all that upstate New York, and I'm going to create a program that people can be proud to stay home and play for. Um, and he's built that team into a little, you know, a little D2 powerhouse. You know, people around the country are going to be really upset that are traditionalists because the they're going to say, oh, it's a huge upset. Oh, it's an upset against Pab. It's an upset against Santa Barbara. It's not, you know, Cal Baptist, if nobody remembers years ago, was a little tiny NAI program that nobody heard about. And within a short few years, their coaching uh, staff had turned over a few times. Ryan McGuire built that thing into a ginormous powerhouse. Now, granted, they were NAIA when they started to hit, come on the scene. They had eight full scholarships and they had a lot of good kids. But then they went to Division Two and then Division One, And now, you know, unfortunately, they're not here anymore. But they were a name that people started to say, oh, OK, well, Cal Baptist, that's a good team. I think you're going to see the same thing about Damon. I think you're going to see the same thing about Long Island. I think you've already seen it with Lewis. You know, Dan took that program that was decimated back in 2003 and built that team to be a powerhouse in the country. And at first, people were like, oh, Lewis, what about Lewis, Lewis? Well, look what Dan's done. Nobody's saying that anymore about them. They're continually ranked. They're continually getting top-ranked players. So I, I, kudos to Gleason and his staff. Kudos to that team and the kids. You know, it's just – it's it's – it might seem like an upset. I don't think it really is this year against Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara might have been ranked a little bit higher than they should be at that time, but still a darn good team. And Damon did a nice job. So hats off to them. Yep. Anyone else on screen? I think one of the things you see with like, I mean, I think you got the top five ranked teams, but I mean, you just saw Theo take down one, but like, um, that's the neat thing. The teams that are ranked, you know, like there's some right outside that are really good that can beat anybody on any given night. I think, the teams in the teens can beat the top five any any given night. You know what I mean? So, so it's always great it's where our game is headed right now. And I just some props to that group. You know, like they played Ohio State, went forth them a little bit earlier in the year. And um, so they've had a couple matches where they, 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 they've battled and they've taken care of the ones they should have. So they got an opportunity there. I think the next step is just continuing to play those high-level matches. And I think you'd see Damon with a few more wins uh, under their belt. Uh, and that – they're still in the NEC, right, Jay? That's still, like, they're not out of it yet, right? So, like, I think that conference, them and LIU and St. Francis. Francis, and I think it's going to be um, uh, some good battles between those guys. Uh, it's unfortunate we don't see one of them get a bid yet into the tournament. So, uh, I think that hopefully that will happen the next year. Yeah. Yep. And I think uh, the setter from Damon, Sean Califf, is kind of going under the radar and definitely deserves some recognition. You know, I think Milligan and Schneider get some get some recognition here or there, but I think um, Caleb's been doing a good job for them and definitely running a pretty good offense. And you have three seniors um, with setter and two pin hitters. That's a good formula. If those guys have all played a lot of volleyball together. Is he your guy? I don't want to steal him. <laughs> he may or may not. I'm not giving you any more any more uh, pointers there. Yeah, gotta give a setter. Props because he had 48 assists, 14 digs, and six block assists. So not only was he contributing to the offense, his defense is pretty darn good as well. So Theo, what are you going to say? Yeah, I'm going to mention it just because we we had talked about it prior to starting the the show. Um, but it was interesting. Santa Barbara changed the lineup, um, and they you know Bianchi wasn't in there, and um, I don't know if 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 Rick went into it thinking, hey, this is going to be a match where we're going to give some other guys a chance to start. Obviously, Reese Barnett, who's been incredibly injured most of the year, 
um, what is now finally healthy, played great, had 23 kills um, and was incredibly effective. And, and again, like we've talked about this quite a bit, I definitely don't want to take anything away from Damon because I think Damon's tremendous and, and what they're doing and have been able to do is not, this is not the first year uh, they've done it. They did it last year. They've been incredible for the last two or three seasons and, um, and probably should be in, in the conversation for the top 20 at some point soon. And, um, so that's, it's a good team, an incredibly talented team. And so I'm wondering why Santa Barbara went the, what, the route that they did and why did they change the lineup? And I think it'll be one of those things that, uh, you know, is talked about for sure on Volley Talk. <laughs> the place just kind of like E for entertainment, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Brad, did you have anything to chip in there? No, that was it. All right. Uh, do need to add those numbers in there. Uh, I think you already mentioned Reese Barnett, son of the Net Live, the original podcast where College Volleyball Weekly came from. Uh, 23 kills. Uh, and again, uh, had a bunch of injuries in previous years. So it was good to see him back on the court. But yeah, uh, Cameron Milligan, 17 kills, 333. And Billy Weiberg, 12 kills and 11 digs. Double-double, just under the radar. I was watching that match and, man, this guy's flying all over the place and he's playing such good ball. But the numbers show right there. He was the utility guy. Um, let's go to a Miva matchup. Number 15, Ball State banging it out to start off Miva play against the Ramblers of Loyola at number 11. We'll start with Dan on that one. Serving errors. I mean, Loyola outstatted them in almost every category, uh, but just couldn't keep the ball on them a few more times. And it wasn't like they were getting the aces from it. So I just always interesting philosophy. Do you know what I mean? So like, you know, or is that just the kids not executing that night? But, uh, I mean, I watched that match live or just on the video. And so deuce games every game, you know, I think if Loyola can just keep a little bit more pressure on them, uh, I think they might have walked out. And it's a tough place to serve. Like, you go in there and it's a big, huge arena. You can't kick the ball and hit the ceiling. So uh, it's certainly a different airspace-wise to play in there. And so, um, but, uh, but yeah, kudos to Bull State and – you know, uh, Tanisha getting 19 kills and certainly Patrick Rogers. And there's uh, – Setter did a nice job for them too. Uh, Lucas Machado and tipping for game match point, you know what I mean, at the end. So that's almost like a dagger in the heart when you see that. So, uh, But, yeah, I just – we talked about – Brad talked about earlier with uh, SC. You know, they go in and serve great the first night and were really good and really put some pressure and then don't really uh, replicate that again on the next night when they play them. And so it's like, I think that becomes a big piece. Like teams, as we get into February, who are kind of consistently serving and passing at the level in order to allow them to play volleyball, I think that becomes pretty important. So so Loyola, 22 service areas versus Ball State's 13 in that matchup. So, yeah, quite the disparity in service areas. But anyone else want to talk about that match right there? Yeah, the, the – Here's the thing, 22 service errors in four games. So it's a little over, what, five per, mm -hmm. which I think most coaches, you know, any if we're three or under per set, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good night. Four is kind of average. Five, on depending on how you're beating them off the net and, and the rest of your serves, I don't think it's necessarily terrible. It's the fact that Ball State missed only 13. Like, that's that's pretty good. They just kept the pressure on them. But Jay, they were all due sets. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Extended the, margin Some, the margin of error is is that <laughs> much, you know, and, and one more average miss serve per could be the difference maker. And then, you know, you look at Ball State, they 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 beat Loyola, and then the next night they lose in three to Penn State, and Penn State wins, you know, in three, then goes the next night and loses to Purdue Fort Wayne. And so, so you're, I mean, you're anybody can beat anybody on any given night, and I, I that's so much fun to watch because no longer are you just going, I don't want to watch this match anymore now. You're looking at the lineup and you're going, man, there's a lot of good matches that could go any kind of crazy way. I can't wait to get home and then look at all the scores. You're like, man, that's a crazy match. I can't believe that happened. I think Jay brings up a point that the, like the back-to-back -back nights, and you think about how that schedule is out. Penn State goes and their back-to-back -back second night is against Purdue. The flip side is, you know, Ball State plays a conference game and then plays a non-conference game on a back-to-back -back night. And I, you know, I mean – you could say, hey, do more conditioning for you guys. But honestly, I'd like – we had two road conference games. If I play those back-to-back, -back, I, I, I'm not sure we get both. Do you know what I mean? It's just that little bit of extra recovery time sometimes, the day in between in terms of that stuff uh, is huge, I think, with with games sometimes. I think another piece that was interesting with Loyola Ball State was Donan and his coaching history, his teams generally, serve in, hit in, 
um, maybe not super aggressive from the end line, um, but generally are serving in more often. You know, where Hawks, you know, we've seen early on, Loyola is pretty aggressive from that end line. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, that works out really, really great, you know, like it has for us at points. But then sometimes when you face a team that's almost the exact opposite with Loyola Ball State, then it's really emphasizes that and really highlights that because now it's you having to side out 20, 21 times within a set as opposed to getting four or five free or cheap side outs with the service air. You know, and I think over time, if you're not well-rounded in all six rotations, siding out and effective and balanced, it, it can make it really, really uh, the game a little bit simpler for the blockers and the defenders. Yeah. Theo, anything to add? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we're it's always fun to dive into these matches that are deuce, right, where there's such small margin of error because you end up analyzing each and every piece. Right. And um, I didn't I didn't have a chance to look at the actual stats on on volumetrics to see what the passing numbers looked like and things of that nature. But to have a team that missed more, have less aces is always an indicator of like. They're serving tough, and maybe that's why they're missing. But if they only got one ace in four sets, you're not you're not getting the fruits of the labor, right? Where where obviously Ball State had only thirteen misses and had three aces, so they outaced them and missed less. That's a recipe for success for sure. Um, but yeah, I think we you look at Tanashi and and is that how you pronounce his his first name, Dan? Tanashi. Tanashi, right? Tanashi. Yeah. yeah. Tanashi, uh, you know, having 19 kills, hitting 395. I mean, that that kid, he since he has been back in the lineup, I felt like the first few matches he's kind of been getting his rhythm back and and starting to get things going again. And obviously, uh, it looked like he was humming in this match. I mean, that's 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 a hell of a performance. Well, there are players that make it very fun to watch on end line cams, and Tanashi and Davos Acheva is definitely one of them because uh, he's getting his waist above it seems like at times. <laughs> Jalen Phillips, too. Get that inline cam in your venue, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone across the nation knows three blockers on, on Phillips. <laughs> um, anything else to add on the Ball State-Loyola matchup? All right, that brings us to our final top 20, tumultuous top 20 upset. The team that's receiving votes in the MEVA, PFW, powers past Penn State, a little alliteration there who's number eight this last week. Uh, let's see, who wants to jump in? Dan, you already led the way. Let's go with Jay representing the EIBA's Penn State and that that matchup between the two teams. Well, you know, again, we talked about it earlier. You know, Penn State's got obviously a, a couple of really good players. I don't think there's any doubt that Toby Ezeone is going to be one of the top, if not the best middle blocker in the country. They got a couple outsides that are smaller but scrappy. They got Ryan Mark at a libero, who is arguably one of the best liberos in the country. Their their question mark and 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 John Kerr obviously is an opposite who's been sitting behind uh, their other opposite forever uh, is now getting a shot to start. Who obviously could be one of the better opposites. Their question mark has been which setter is going to be the one that steps up. Uh, they've got two right now, uh, and they went with the smaller uh, setter for that match. Uh, and unfortunately Kerr in the middle of the first set kind of goes down, doesn't look like he landed on anybody's foot. Didn't, he didn't fall when it happened. He just made a swing and then all of a sudden turned around and kind of bent over and it looked like it was something maybe with his knee or something. He's got wrapped up, but you know, he's out for the rest of the match and all of a sudden Penn state's got to find a piece that could be able to hold up a little bit. And Purdue took advantage of that. You know, they got a, you got a, an outside hitter who's been there for 28 years, whose shoulder is held together by duct tape. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, they got a big middle who could put the ball down. They got an experienced setter and they're at home. And those are all good combinations right there. So, you know, Purdue may not be the team that, you know, that, that everybody's used to. They're a little bit beat up and scrappy and, and not quite as experienced across the board, but they got some good players and man, they play with a chip on their shoulder. You want to talk about teams, that play with a chip on her shoulder. I'll, I'll give a few of examples so people can understand what I'm talking about. Purdue, Fort Wayne, Cal State, Northridge, North Greenville, Lincoln Memorial, Charleston. Those are all teams that they have, they play with a little bit of moxie, a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. And, and, you know, when you get them into a fight, if you start to smack them around a little bit, they're not going to go down without coming back. 
you know, you're, you're not going to get unscathed in that match. So uh, hats off to Rock. That's a good win for him in this program. It kind of can help propel him into conference now and be able to have a little bit of confidence knowing they can do it against a good team. But uh, yeah, that's all I got. All right, panel. I think the other piece, so like we talk about Dietrich and Frazier, they both had great nights, but Bryce Walker's their senior middle, 10 for 11, hit 900. That's wow. against the Penn State two middles that are pretty, pretty good. So I think, um, you know, I, I think they've got some seniors on that team between Frazier and Dietrich and Walker, and they're going to play some havoc in, in some other matches as they move forward a little bit. So uh, good win for them. Uh, I think they were doing some – uh, Hall of Fame inductions, some things like that. A lot of good pictures if you jump on their website in terms of that stuff. So, but uh, certainly a, a nice feather in their cap. Well, Walker, the block for match point in the fifth set that went 2018. So huge celebrations after that one. Uh, anyone else on the screen there want to talk about the PFW Penn State matchup? Yeah, I threw it on. Uh, I checked the score and I was like, oh, this is going five. So I, I got to throw it on for the fifth set and it was cool to see. And Bryce Walker ended up, I think they were down 13, 12, uh, somewhere around that range. Bryce Walker goes on a serving run that gives him the edge there. Um, you know, and then Toby just hits the ball out by six inches, maybe. Um, and then Bryce Walker ends up getting the stuff block there at the end. I think he had really the performance that closed it out in that fifth set. And then Mark Frazier had a big time performance. He was taking a, a good bit of swings for him and, him and Diedrich are obviously a two-headed monster there on the pin. But, um, yeah, I think Frazier's someone who is slowly performing a little bit better and better and better, at least where I'm not seeing them every single week, where Dan might say he's been good all the time. But um, he seems to be starting to come into his zone and kind of find his stride um, there for the Mastodons. Theo, anything to add? Yeah, they, oh, I think these guys mentioned all of the, you know, the analytics of the guys. But, you know, in the big picture of this, PFW is a team that is getting votes. They're not inside the top 20, but a lot <laughs> of coaches know this team is the real deal. And they've got some talented pieces. And I think some people are looking at this matchup and seeing that PFW beat Penn State and they're shocked. Um, but for the coaches that know, you walk into PFW and this roster, these players, these guys are dogs and they can play. And, um, you know, I think Penn State, again, on the back-to-back -back was a tough, tough matchup for them. And PFW came out with, with the win. And I give my tip my hat to Rock and his guys. And th that was a great win. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Frazier, 24 kills, 306. Dietrich, 21 kills, hit five stinking 13 for the match. <laughs> Phenomenal numbers. I think um, I think Dan mentioned it in the beginning of the year. He said John Diedrich is the real deal. And 521 kills. That's unbelievable against Penn State. <laughs> well, let's let's jump back over to Dan for the best of the rest because he's the only truly undefeated team since Jay was on vacation last week. So uh <laughs> two Meva matches. You gotta like your results, Dan. Yeah, I think, you know, Linda Wynn McHenry are both really good teams. So anytime you can get road conference wins, these guys know it's huge. So however we needed to figure it out, it was a, a good performance by our guys. So I was certainly happy as we walk into a league match against Ohio State on home on Wednesday. But, uh, yeah, our libero, I'm going to give him some love. Nico Pauly had a career high 17 digs. Kid's pretty good. So uh, against uh, uh, McHenry, just in terms of we have some stable pieces, but – Props to him. That was pretty cool. So he's your co-host to your uh, weekly podcast. Yeah, so I had to give him some love today. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I can't pick my own guy. Do you know what I mean? Or I won't. Do you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, pretty good. That was a uh, passive. Hey, uh, let's lobby. Maybe someone else will pick him. <laughs> I thought you were going to pull up a TJ Murray reference. I didn't know. Like gonna... <laughs> it's been oh, a while. <laughs> oh, I gotta love it. Uh, anyone else want to talk about Dan's matches or shall we move on? Uh, the couple other Miva matches that aren't top 20, though, we saw Quincy and Queens play. Queens is new to our conference. Um, we haven't talked about Quincy much, but, um, you know, they split. So it was interesting to see kind of as our conference expanded and Queens is in it and what Jeremy's doing with those guys. So he got his first conference win. And to put some history, Jeremy started back when Grand Canyon started off and Grand Canyon was in the Miva uh, and he started that program. And so it's interesting as we move forward and he's now with Queens and Queens is in the conference now and he got his first win and Q 
Karen Kempner, for those that you don't know, is down at Quincy, has been the past couple of years and former Olympian herself and uh, has been getting that group better. So um, I think they both went five as well. So yeah. Good stuff. Uh, we move on to a team we haven't really talked a whole bunch because they haven't really traveled. Well, actually, I don't mean massive homestand now. Hawaii with two wins versus Tusculum, but the uh, eye-catching stat was a 18-0 serving run by Kurt Neusterer, uh night two. Actually, it was last night, probably you guys deep into the morning for some of you because it was late. Um, but I'm going to read from the Hawaii release. Rainbow Warriors served 16 aces in the victory, including six by middle blocker Kurt Neusterer, all during an epic 18-0 scoring run in the third set. 16 aces were a season high and the third most in a single match in program history. Thoughts on what Hawaii is doing and fact of the matter is they shuffled the lineup, put some new faces in. They're still doing some damage. Who wants to jump in? Yeah, I think it'll be, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what Tusculum looks like in five to 10 years. And obviously that stat won't happen then. Nothing against Hawaii. It's, it's a good team and they have got, you know, some really, really good wins this year already. And they got a, couple of big matches this weekend, but I mean, you're beating up on a team that's brand new. They're still figuring some things out. They got some nice players. Tusculum's fun to watch. They're scrappy. Uh, and, and you know, in a, in a year or two or three, when those guys get a little bit more experience, they're going to be a handful. Uh, but it, it's it's just a headline. It's all it is to me. Yep. Yeah, Brad. I mean, it's a good, good player, a really good server. I think he's someone that, as Hawaii continues to go through the season, he's going to be continuing to catch more and more eyeballs. Um, from people as he's filling into a new role there as a middle blocker. But he can serve sideline and sideline, not like traditionally, not as much heat, but um, plenty of control. And heck, even just serving 18 in a row against zero people, um, I think most guys in our gyms would end up messing that up at some point. Um, so that's impressive nonetheless. <laughs> yep. Yeah, did you have someone to jump in there with? or? Yeah, I mean, I, I watched, I, watched a, I think, that entire serving run. And, uh, I mean, I think anytime you serve that many, there's, there's something to, to be said, but there are a bunch that bounced off the tape and he definitely had a few bounce his way that, that really helped. And, uh, but the cable gods intervened, huh? Yeah. They might've had a little luck on their side, uh, <laughs> but either, either way, I, this Hawaii team, I think we talked about it early in the year, the longer that they have and the more time that they get. And I think this goes into part of that scheduling that we were talking about. They need reps and they need time, but as they get it, the talent is there and uh, they're getting better and better each and every week. And, and I think uh, by the time we see them in the big West, I think this is going to be a, a hell of a team. Dan or yeah, Dan. <laughs> I, those guys got it. I, I mean, Hawaii's got a couple tough matches coming up this week, so it'll be exciting to watch it. So I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yep. Oh, I love the play there. Uh, with that, I got to go to the match that I got to see firsthand: UCLA, UCI, then the home and home series again. And I'll just say that uh, you know, Bren was full. It's the first match for Irvine in the Bren Event Center because of some incidents that occurred early on in the year. Uh, Packed house, and I think um, UC Irvine came out a little hesitant because they were down big. 0-2 in the second set, didn't look like they were going to pull that one out. Uh, but in the third, they came out strong and pushed it to a fifth set. So entertaining to watch the comeback and how a team could turn it on. And uh, they went and lost in the fifth, midway through the fifth. UCLA turned it on with Cooper Robinson, who was playing some really good ball and and. Seeing the amount, of, I was talking to assistant uh, Nick Vogel before the match. He's like, I got a tough problem, Rob. I don't know which big outside hitter to put in. <laughs> so, uh, but he's Wah. definitely a talented outside. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but uh, Irvine goes back around, travels up to UCLA. UCLA takes a 3 1. Um, Nolan Flexen had a big night, but again, Cooper Robinson shows up and starts throwing down a whole bunch of balls down that big. And I'm telling you that he is so good. And Champlin, just such a steady force for UCL. I love watching him play along with uh, Rowan. So thoughts on that matchup, you guys. And whoever wants to jump in, please do. Ethan Champlin's one of my favorite players out of everybody. Like yeah. the kid's just that good. Like, and he's so controlled and he makes the team better. And whatever they end up putting him, he's got to be on the floor. Do you know what I mean? Because I think he helps them play the best level they can play. So he plays a lib on night two. Yeah. I know. <laughs> the kid just has to be on the floor. He's that good. So he's just steady and calm and 
super high IQ. And so pretty impressive. And a good mustache that you can appreciate. Those have a good mustache. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone else on screen want to jump in? Yeah, I think the Cooper Robinson comment, you know, Cooper Robinson was phenomenal in both of these matches. And and I think it's a testament to the depth that UCLA has. Um, I don't think anybody on this screen has a kid like Cooper Robinson that they can have on the bench and uh, and not afford to play, not afford to use. And um, But it's also a testament to Cooper and the fact that he's grinding it out with a really talented team and and once he had his chance, he he gets out there and 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 played really really well against a great Irvine team. Um, and then I think the comment about uh, about Ethan is is spot on. I agree with Dan. Um, he's always been my favorite player on that team, and to see him in the libero position with the exact same mentality. I mean, you watch him when he was an outside hitter. He's direct in traffic. He's in control of the backcourt. He's in control of the front court. And then you put him at libero, and there's no difference. Um, he's that same guy. He's incredibly poised. He's, he's. I mean, he's incredibly, incredibly talented. And so I think it it really doesn't say much about this Irvine team because I think they're really talented and 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 great, right? The fact that they lost both of these, but they easily could have won on that first night. And um, I, I think both these teams are are, are probably going to run into each other again down the road. Yep. I think I got the only two takeaways from my side. One, ahead, back at last year, Troy Gooch did not get enough credit for what he was doing on the court. And I think, you know, that shows, and granted, most of the liberos are all young and haven't got a ton of experience there. Um, but Brad, you did on this podcast. We were. I know, but still, even more. Even That's more. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think for most of us, myself, I didn't think that position would have that big of an impact on their team. And we've seen it. You know, not necessarily lead to losses. They have two losses, which still at this point of the year, I think is a surprise for most people. Um, but just seeing how it's created and just kind of them trying to figure out how to fill that role, fill that void. And they're clearly trying everything and, and anything because they have the depth and the talent to be able to do that. Um, so I think Troy Gooch, another shout out from from back last year. And the second thing is Irvine shows the ability to play really high level volleyball. You know, and I think right now as Nolan Flexen tries to figure some things out on the left and we see a little bit of him getting subbed out at times and getting some uh, Kiel Tengutar in there to get some passing in there and some more serve receive. But um, when Irvine gets it all together and they will at some point, um, they're going to be firing and they're going to be a little bit scary and Rob's going to be real fired up. Um, and my last point is Rob I saw like it looked like some basketball thing, some midnight madness. Yeah, style. and you were in white. all white, the all white pants, and um, yeah, I really hope we see that for the uh, San Diego Irvine match. I want to see the white pants come out. <laughs> First of all, yeah. you're not supposed to wear white pants until after Labor Day. Let's let's you know, <laughs> let's let's call it what it is. Second of all, uh, if Flexen ever learns how to pass a ball, he's going to be one of the most athletic outside hitters in the country. And has a very bright future playing professionally and making a lot of money. The kid hits at about 16 feet um, and has a cannon for an arm. But he hasn't figured out passing it at this level. Uh, and I, I don't think that's a scouting report flaw by any standard. I think we all know what we're looking at. But that would be the only knock that you could have against that team or against that player. Is once he figures out how to pass consistently, game over. Yep. Uh, Dan, anything to add on there? I talked first. Oh, well, I, I figured you'd close it out. <laughs> well, I just think that Nolan and Jalen should play doubles beach together. Ooh, oh, that'd be fun. They'd be up there. They may not be able to ball control yet, but man, you just set up a ball to it. <laughs> I'll let uh, Jason double blocker, double blocker. You don't need defense. Ball's not coming over the net. Hey, I, I'm doing the USA College Beach thing. I'm getting both those guys, those guys to come and kind of. It's already recruiting. Yeah, so. Get a wheel of, wheel of ball machine out onto the sand and just get them to pass ball after ball for 28 yeah, days. Yeah. Much easier to pass in the beach. He's got to pass up, man, and yeah. setting is yeah. the tough part, so. Yeah. Well, uh, Grand Canyon went 2-0 last week. Uh, actually, I jumped too far ahead there. Uh, wanted to recognize Ohio State. They had uh, one match last week, but Jacob Pasture uh, enters the top 10 in Ohio State history with 1,228 career kills. So uh, shout out to Jacob Pasture. And another milestone 
last week. Long Beach State's Alan Knight, 400 career wins. Love the little graphic they put up. I felt like they should have had Staying Alive from Saturday Night Fever playing on because he's like doing this strut thing. So uh, congrats to Al and his uh, accomplishment, which I wanted to segue into um, first your top players of the week. And we're going to talk about what's coming up because Grand Canyon and Long Beach are the only two remaining undefeated teams. They've got some big ones and I know we're going to talk about it. So players of the week, uh, who started first last time? I think it was Dan. He jumped in fast. So let's go with Brad. He's like hanging back there. Dang it. I don't remember who Dan said he was going to pick. I would have taken him. I didn't uh, anybody this week. Just so you know. <laughs> I got the guy we were just talking about, Cooper Robinson. 26 points, both nights, uh, 22 kills and 23 kills. Some blocks, some aces, well-rounded performance, and against some top high-level competition. So, Cooper Robinson from UCLA. All right. Let's go to Jay. I'm going to go Nero Omeni with Princeton. 15 kills and 500 <laughs> on the first night versus Pep. 20 kills, 486 against uh, uh, UCSB on the next night. And I know Theo's just hating me right now. So, I'm going to go – I'm going to give one of his kids some love. His setter, Donovan Constable, uh, Constable, uh, Constable, 52 assists, two aces, six digs against Stanford. It's a big win for the kid and, and uh, give him a little confidence going in. But those are my two players of the week. Jump over to Dan. I'm going to do the three-headed Ghidra monster for you, you guys that watch Godzilla. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, Mark Frazier, John Diedrich, and Bryce Walker. Uh, I think those three guys were huge in the in the win over Penn State. So. Good call. And then close out Theo. Yeah, I'll take Tanashi uh, with that big win over Loyola and, uh, you know, hit 19 kills, hitting 395. And then I'll take John Kerr, who, uh, you know, 440, 13 kills, three digs, 13 points. Had a really nice weekend. Yep. We're going to do our picks, uh, matches to watch a little differently because want to focus on the two undefeated teams for sure because they got two big ones coming up starting off with Grand Canyon who are 9 and 0 uh they won both their matches at the Harvard Invitational but they've got a pretty tough opponent here at Provo BYU thoughts on that matchup gentlemen let's start with uh we'll go with Theo on this one come back to me <laughs> come back <laughs> all right then uh we'll go to let's go to Jay Grand Canyon BYU, sign me up. Where do I watch? <laughs> okay, I'm going to say I really feel like you know you've been you've been seeing a lot of stuff on Benson and uh, gosh, I'm forgetting the other, but I think Romanus is going to have a breakout weekend for BYU. Last year, Romanus was Romanus was really good all season, but these other two outsides they brought in uh, or pin hitters have been grabbing the stat lines and the attention, but I feel like he's so due. It's not that he hasn't been playing well, but I think he's going to be a big part of uh, if they're able to beat Grand Canyon. It'll be interesting to see if Mosier's – I mean, Mosier's got to be out there. I think he's a big piece for them. So yeah. like that was um, it, Moser. Yeah, but I think um, I think BYU wins the first night. I, I think you're going to go in there, and uh, just from a serving standpoint, I, I think uh, BYU wins the first night, and then, then – uh, Grand Canyon bounces back the second night. This is at that. BYU? Is yep. it at BYU? Yeah. That's what I had at, at BYU. Yeah. Hey, well, yeah. Mosier is the the guy that everybody would be looking at, but Cabrera Brown's the kid you got to be paying attention to. He's got a whip of an arm. Right. Uh, and, you know, he's he's kind of the unsung hero, so to speak. And Romanus hasn't even been playing that much this year. So uh, I'm sure he has. He's a good player. We all know he's a good player, but he hasn't seen much time yet. I think this has been turned into one of the one of the better rivalries here um, for for a lot of various reasons. But I think two programs that notoriously have pretty good cheering sections, good crowds, they they create a good environment, a good vibe in the gym. Um, and you know, I'm excited to see it kind of continue and continue um, to go back and forth. And I can see Grand Canyon sneaking out of there, winning both. I can see them splitting. Um, but if I had a lock in a prediction, I'm going to say Grand Canyon's going to sneak out of there with two victories and putting up a, quite the case to be the number one team in the nation after this week. Just That's so you my know, call. but just so you know, we're we're ahead of ourselves because BYU's playing Long Island this weekend, right? And then it's BYU the next weekend. So Rob, we're yeah. going to have to correct some of your oh, we're a week ahead right. on conversations here, buddy. All so. right. Well, 
We know that's the next big one coming up. Well, not that we're looking past it, but listeners are, are like, the, what are these guys talking about? They're like a week I, off. Uh, you know, my spreadsheets <laughs> sorted it out wrong. So oh. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's why I said to come back because I was so confused. I was like, wait, I didn't see that matchup. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I had I, it in my uh, notes and wasn't looking at my spreadsheet. So that was because that uh, I think there's a there's chatter out there saying that, well, you know, they're talking about schedules and all that, but I'm like still. People are going to be watching that weekend just because it is BYU and it's at Provo. Uh, and that's usually a really good test for a team anyways. So uh, with well, that. I, have we talked about their win percentage there? Yeah, we get yeah. a little bit. Yeah. 92% is, is it Jay that brought it up last week? Yeah. No, you yeah. brought it up. Yeah, yeah. I, I we talked about it, I think, a little bit. I wasn't sure if we did it on or off cam. But, uh, I mean, that's an incredibly difficult team to beat there. And so, yeah. but I'm with Brad. I think GCU gets them twice. Woo. Wow. I'm, in, I'm in that boat too when it happens. I'm in that boat too when it happens. Nick Slight is uh, is playing some really great volleyball. And uh, that's, a, that's a guy that when the moment is big, he's really good. And I think he'll be that good up in Provo. Yeah. Well, I'll get one that is actually happening this week. Long Beach State, they come off a week with two wins against King, uh, but it's the home-and-home home series versus UCLA. Thoughts? Ooh, frozen it's on the This is the first screen. big test for Long Beach here. Um, you know, and I think it's going to be interesting to see UCLA's played a pretty tough schedule and had a lot of, lot of, uh, lot of battles. So seeing Long Beach – at home, seeing Long Beach at UCLA um, is going to be really, really intriguing to see how their passing holds up. I think that's the ultimate question mark with Godbold passing a little bit more, Varga um, passing from the right side. How are they able to manage that and get Saponis and Briggs passing as many balls as possible against some tough jump servers? You know, and the other end of it is UCLA from the end line and UCLA serving wise, are they going to be able to exploit that and show what potentially could be a weakness or taken advantage of from the I, long side of things. I think it's also two vastly different setting styles. You know, you look at Rowan, who is tall, a little bit more controlled, a little bit more rhythmic. Um, you know, he, he's, he runs an offense pretty well, uh, understands his players' wants and needs. And then you got Aiden Knipe, who's kind of a gunslinger, smaller setter, Chucks up a lot of high balls, but they always seem to be in really good spots for their hitters to attack. Uh, maybe not quite the quick offense that they've had in years prior. Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting to see the two vastly different styles of volleyball being played. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know that Long Beach has had, a, you know, multiple matches where they've had to figure some things out. Um, where UCLA has, they've, 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 they've ran into some issues. They've, they've had to make adjustments. They've had to change the roster. They've or they had to change the lineups. Um, and so I think it'll be interesting to see how that affects this match, right? Like UCLA has, has been down and has been tested quite a bit where I don't know that Long Beach has had those, those same situations thrown at them. And, uh, this can be a lot of fun. I think it'd be really interesting to see how this turns out. I I always feel like there's an intense rivalry between John Sproul and Alan Knight. It's always intriguing to me. So like, I honestly like you watch the match. It's going to be a great match. A lot of great players, but just I like watching the body language of those two guys when they play each other. It's pretty pretty good drama, I think. Do you know what I mean? And so how intense they get or not, or like where they're at with the refs and the dynamic with their guys in terms of that stuff. So just when you're watching the match, pay attention to the bench a little bit and see how those guys go. So they, they are super animated. That's uh, for sure. <laughs> you know, I think it's interesting that uh, no one really mentioned the Long Beach middle situation because they got a beast in Simon Torwey at six, nine and the reigning ABCA player of the week, the freshman from Bulgaria, Buch, uh, Lazar Buchkov, which is funny. One of the, the posts was from Alex Nikolov on the, the uh, ABCA post. I told you so was his only comment on the, the Lazar Buchka being named player of the week, but uh, they're doing some good things too. And Torby's got a wicked spin. Yeah. Torby is a known entity. The the freshman kid, that kid's up in the air. Uh, and not only is he up in the air, but he's also up in the air quick. Uh, he doesn't run a slow offense. If you're not paying attention 
your middles have to make some pretty fast decisions when that guy's in the front row. So, um, yeah, like it's it's going to be a battle to watch. It'll be a lot of fun. But I'm a Dan. You know, we we all know each other, right? Everybody around the country, for the most part, we know every head coach in the country. And it's interesting sometimes when you watch some of your friends coaching against each other, you, you know about the little backstories and the little comments that are made. And, you know, we all hang out at some various point. It'll be interesting to see how that one goes. Well, I'll be courtside. I'll be sure to get some uh, sideline video the, uh, behind the scenes. <laughs> well, for the viewers to know, right? We all, everybody obviously knows John Sparrow is the national team coach. Alan Knight is a post national team coach. Um, so I think that rivalry that Dan is talking about, there's there's definitely some pride there. There's definitely some pride. It's going to be a fun one. <laughs> well, I know we are going a little long, but we got to get to our what you're watching in week six. So uh, you guys have yours lined up? You ready to go? Sure. Let's oh, yeah. go Brad first. I I think it's pretty easy. Um, Stanford at Hawaii. I know I know Dan wanted to say it, so I had to make sure I got it in there before him. <laughs> All right, Theo. Yeah, UCSB Pepperdine. Um, PCH I think that's, series. <laughs> yeah, the, and really because of both the, both those teams coming off of some losses last week, um, and and seeing how they respond and bounce back, I think they're both at a at a point in their season where these are some pretty <laughs> important wins. All right, over to Dan. Well, I'm going to talk about our own conference. Ohio State comes to you know us and Loyola. You've got um a couple other conference games going on where i think uh ball state uh plays lindenwood and so um and then pfw and Loyola as well and so like uh, there's going to be some battles in the media this week that are going to be pretty good to watch so yeah good call jay still on vacation well, we've already yeah, i'm still on vacation <laughs> going back out this weekend hopefully to uh hit swing the sticks again i got four that i'll be watching we already talked about ucla long beach state Loyola PFW is one I want to see. I want to see if PFW can continue the work that they put in against the Loyola team that maybe uh, is is trying to find its identity. Obviously, Stanford Hawaii. That's going to be a great match to watch. Unfortunately, it's at Hawaii. Correct? Yes. Yeah. So none of us will be able to watch it. Um, <laughs> the other one that I'm going to be watching is St. Francis versus Charleston. Charleston is a team that has not scheduled extremely tough in the beginning parts of their season the last few years similar this year however they've got some good players st francis runs one of the fastest quick left side offenses i've seen uh in a while they think their outside hitters almost on this fourth step and almost in the air by the time that thing gets to them when they're in system they're pretty dangerous it'll be interesting to see what charleston does to beat them off the net a little bit and slow them down but st francis has got some players their opposite's doing a real nice job. Uh, Zini, I believe, is his name. Yep, and, oppo, uh, Nathan Zini. Yep, it'll be interesting to see who comes out of that one. So that's my under-the-radar pick for the week. All right. Who's left? Uh, is that Theo? Uh, Brad. All Brad, right. okay. I started it off. He started. Oh, I forgot. Well, I lost good. myself there. But another and, one to watch, Merrimack at Harvard. That would be another interesting one. Merrimack's played some tough teams, and Harvard has too. So I can see that one being a five-setter. You got Lincoln Memorial and Princeton too. So Yeah, that'll be good. That's a good one. Yeah, I have a I have a Meva question for you. So PFW is gonna play Loyola on the sixth, and then they're gonna go and play Queens twice, all in the same week. Is that normal for conference? Yeah, like Theo, I'm not sure the show has enough time for you for me to be disgruntled about what our schedule looks like right now, but <laughs> it's unbalanced and just not like so Linda would play to us on a Wednesday and then had to go to Ohio State on a Sunday. Oh, so it's just like we had nine teams. They were trying to figure it out. And I just don't think it worked out as well as everybody had hoped. You know what I mean? And so, like, you're going to see some weird things and just some unbalanced schedule stuff that's going on. Like, we just play Ohio State. Ohio State has to play us and Loyola this weekend. Uh, and so cool. tough on Ohio State. You know what I mean? In terms of that. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. like, um, so there's, you'll see a little bit more of those weird situations going on with Miva play as we go through this year. And so hopefully – we can work through it for the next year after that. So all excellent choices. And with that, that concludes uh, our week six episode of college volleyball weekly's tumultuous top 20 uh, gentlemen. Good luck this week. That's Jay Hosick of George Mason, Brad Rosser of UC San Diego, Dan Fran of Lewis and Theo Edwards of CSUN. 
We'll uh, see you online this week watching some matches, and uh, I'll be reporting courtside. Have a great week, guys. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to College Volleyball Weekly. Be sure to follow Rob Espero at the Rob on the Mic on Instagram and at Rob on the Mic on Twitter.